church has a relevant place in our lives and that there's a lot in a church body that we can gain. And uh, if I wasn't a pastor, I, I just... I'm asking you to trust me on this. I'd be in church. When my wife and I go to vacation, uh, we enjoy that. Uh, but we always make sure in our vacation plans we find a church because there's just something that church does in our, our lives. So I want to just thank you for the, the effort that you made to get out of bed when you could have slept in and you made your way in here. And I'm so thankful that you are with us today. I would like to read to you from Matthew today, the book of Matthew. And we're going to look first at the scripture. And then I have some remarks for you uh, in an incident. Uh, we're going to look at an incident in the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, so we're going to the gospel. Matthew 11 verse 16 will be where we will begin our reading. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you have them open so that you can follow along and make sure I don't say something wacky. OK, you can follow along. Just make sure I'm, I'm not way off kilter here. But Matthew 6 or 11, beginning with verse 16, we're breaking into middle of something that has been happening that day with Jesus. And I'll try to give you some background here. To what can I compare this generation, Jesus asked. They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you'll go down to the depths. If the miracles that have been performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let the word of God sink in for a moment. But as you do, I'm going to ask you to consider something. What stirs you? What really gets your juices flowing? What are you passionate about? What kind of really makes like if if somebody uh, initiates a conversation, what subject would you really feel like you want to engage in that? That really gets you going. Years ago, when I was uh, a youth pastor, I used to really enjoy talking to older people about their grandchildren. Because what I found is when people have grandchildren, most of them are pretty passionate about it. 
And so I would begin talking to them and say, hey, you know, uh, tell me about your grandchild. It wouldn't take them long to be fully engaged. And back then, you know, they didn't have cell phones because I'm a dinosaur. They didn't have cell phones back then. So what they would do is whip out their wallet and then they would unfold all these pictures of their kids, you know. And, oh, this is when he was riding a horse and this is when he almost drowned. And it's all this stuff, you know. And they're t- But they talk with such passion and excitement for their grandchildren. It's still true today. Now they just get your phone out. And you get a slideshow. You might get a video because that's all. Look how cute he is when he's picking his nose here. You know, that's what they do. They get so passionate about their grandchildren. And we should. And I'm asking you, what is it that stirs you up? What is it that really gets you going? What are you passionate about? I hope there's something in your life that that fires you up. And I hope it's a wholesome thing, honestly. I want to make a case, though. That the one thing, at least one thing that really stirred the passions of Jesus still does to this day. The one thing that really moves him in the very depths of his being is just people. I believe Jesus is passionate about people. Why why else would a man die on a cross for a world? I think he's passionate about us. At this point in his ministry that we've read about, we, we, we come to the point in, in Jesus' ministry where people have begun to, um, to show a lot of confusion concerning who Jesus was. Jesus often encountered this kind of confusion and, and, and this kind of uh, difficulty from people in the form of doubting and their misunderstanding of him. As Jesus was was in this region teaching this particular day, it had been a difficult day. Jesus had just learned not long before this that his cousin, John the Baptist, was thrown in jail. Jesus loved John very much. And John was the forerunner. Uh, God had appointed John. John was a very unique human being. The Bible says that, first of all, he was given as a miracle to an older couple that were well past their years of conception and and had been barren all this time. And John was a miracle baby. And then while he is in the womb, the Bible tells us that this little boy was filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the places we see this is when a pregnant Mary walks in to greet her pregnant aunt and our cousin, aunt, cousin, cousin. Thank you, Mark. I'm so thankful for Mark. All right. But, yeah, it's a pregnant cousin. And 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 the baby, John, leapt in her womb as soon as he recognized the presence of Jesus in the womb uh, in the room and and in the womb. So it was an incredible thing. John was this unique guy. He lived a very unique life. He had gone through his life. His life's mission was to point to Jesus. And he was the one who, uh, when he was out living, he's kind of a wild guy. John was, uh, some of us would really like him. He, John, John had uh, kind of weird hair, and he grew his beard out kind of long, and he wore strange clothing. He lived out in the wilderness, and he ate bugs and honey. I mean, locusts and honey. That's what he ate. He was just this man set apart. He's a very different man. He was a great, charismatic preacher. But whenever Jesus came and began his ministry, it was John who pointed at him and says, Look at him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John had the honor and privilege of baptizing the Son of God. And while he is doing it, a supernatural thing happens. The Holy Spirit descends in a visible form 
It looks like a dove that's hovering over Jesus that lit on Jesus. And it was a confirmation for John. This is the Messiah. This is the son of God. But in this point, at this point in his ministry, in the ministry of Jesus, John now is sitting in prison. And John began to struggle with some confusion in his heart because he was trying to understand what was going on. You see, he had his own ideas about what Jesus should be doing by now. If he was the Messiah to come into the world, then then he was thinking, John was thinking, well, Jesus ought to be rising in political circles because in his mind and in the minds of the Jews, the, the Messiah would come and they, he would free them from the tyranny of a Roman government that had overthrown them. And he was there to establish a kingdom and rule the whole world world and the trajectory of Jesus ministry and the way that Jesus was going about that was it seemed like almost antithetical to that like it was the opposite of what he should have been doing and so John was a little confused as to why he wasn't living up to his visions of what the Messiah should look like he didn't seem to be getting close to rising to political greatness and by the way why had Jesus let him go to jail Because I'm sure in John's heart, one of the things that he was thinking is, look, man, I'm the forerunner of Christ. I'm a relative of Christ. When he becomes king, I'm going to be a big shot. I get I get a kind of cool place. You know, I get the rule alongside. I'm sure Jesus will give me an important post in the cabinet. And instead, all of that is washed away in his thinking because Jesus is doing none of these things that would ingratiate him to the people in a way that would, he could overthrow the government. And instead, what Jesus is doing is seems to be running in, in the opposite direction of rising to political greatness. So John in prison is discouraged and confused and beginning to second guess himself and say, have I done the right thing? And can I just really quickly camp on something Have you ever been in a position where bad things happen to you because you do a good thing? Man, that's hard. And that was John. John was doing God's will. John was doing the right thing. And in spite of it all, he's laying laying up in a prison. He's stuck in prison. And so John begins to wonder, was I right about Jesus? Did I baptize the right one? And so... He sends word to Jesus through his followers. John had disciples. He was a charismatic guy. And he grabs a couple of the guys. He says, listen, I need you to do me, do me a favor. I need you to go out and find out where Jesus is. And I need you to take this question to him. Jesus, are you the one who was to come? Translation, are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah? Or should I keep looking until another one appears? And I love how Jesus answers this. Um, And I'll get to that in just a moment. But just understand that even John was confused about who Jesus was. And even John, his his forerunner, (coughs) pardon me, was dealing uh, with doubts about uh, who Jesus, that that he was the Messiah. And Jesus was encountering this all over the place. In fact, he was in a region when he said the words that I read to you this morning. He was in a region where he had said this, a prophet is without honor in his own home. 
He was in his hometown and he had performed a great deal of miracles and still very few people believed that he was the son of God. Despite what they were seeing, there was just some things about what he was doing that did not match up to their expectations of what God should be doing. Have you been there before? Have you ever thought you had it all figured out what God should do? And if God does this, then I know he's really real. And I know he's really doing what he should do. But has ever has, has it ever occurred in your life that God did not do exactly uh, what you wanted him to do to, uh, the way that you wanted him to? And has it ever confused you? Have you ever felt like disillusioned because of it? And I've, I, in fact, I know that this has happened to a lot of people because a lot of them have landed in my office. And, and I'll get something like, if God is... If God is God, and if he's a God of love, why did he? Why didn't he? And Jesus was encountering that kind of attitude and that kind of thought. They struggled. Is this really the Son of God? Because everybody who um, who had read the prophecy of the Bible in the Jewish nation believed that what Jesus was about to do when he came into the world, that the Messiah would overthrow the rest of the governments in the world, and he would then rule the world. And so the Israelites would be with Jesus as he ruled the world. They'd be his chosen people. He came out of the, the Israelites' uh, nation. And so that's their vision. And when Jesus was not doing that, they began to struggle. And many people were looking at him and doubting and trying to figure out, then what in the world is going on here? Is he really the Messiah? So from John the Baptist, these men come. And they ask the question that John had asked them to ask Jesus. And I love what he does. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. And I'll read this to you. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Here's what I'm pretty convinced happened, knowing Jesus. I think there was a large crowd there that day when those men came up to Jesus from John. He was in the middle of his ministry, and day after day in his ministry, he healed so here's what I think. I think that he, the men asked the question and he said, okay, guys, tell John what, you just, what you're about to see and what you're about to hear. And there was a blind man in that crowd. And Jesus walked up to this man who had never seen and with his great power spoke a word. And a man who had never seen opened his eyes and he could see right in front of everybody. A deaf man, a guy who could not talk and who had been deaf from birth was there. And Jesus healed the deaf man right in front of everybody. I believe also present was a leper. A person with leprosy was in dire straits as a medical condition you did not want to have. And I believe that Jesus made them whole. And then he began to preach the news, the good news to everyone there. And then he looks at these men and says, go tell John, this is what you saw. This is what you heard. And what a powerful message. And what a, by the way, what a wonderful response for poor John sitting in jail. It helped John. When these men said, John, I wish you could have been there, man. This guy was was totally blind. They brought him up to Jesus and he was healed. Another guy couldn't hear a thing. 
hadn't heard a sound all of his life. And Jesus touched him. And he, he's now hearing. And he's able to speak. And this guy full of leprosy. Just, just broken in pieces. Body parts missing. Jesus healed him and restored it all. You should have been there, John. I wish you could have seen it. And that was good enough, I'm sure, for John. I'm sure John said, good. I have not made a mistake. This is the Messiah. But then Jesus still, after sending these men back, his passion is stirred up because people are missing it. They're misunderstanding him. They're, they're, they're lacking the vision. And what Jesus sees is something that I, he has what I call divine vision. Unlike us, we only see the outside of somebody. We only see body language. We only read very little. We can perceive so little. And can't we fool one another pretty well? We can put on our Jesus clothes and our Jesus smiles and come to church. And it might have been the worst morning ever. But we'll come in and smile. Hello, great to see you. I'm so glad to be alive. You know, we're very good at putting the mask on. And we can't discern very much. But I know for a fact that Jesus has divine vision. He looks deep into the hearts of people. And as these people were gathering in, Jesus could see who they were, what they what they believed. The Bible is full of examples of when Jesus would do that. He did it over and over again. And he's looking out at his countrymen. And he saw that many of them were like children playing a game, a useless game, pretending to know God. In reality, their hearts were just shut tightly against him. To them, Jesus was just a curiosity. And Jesus saw that there were many people who were there trusting their very soul's destiny to their heritage. The fact that they were Jewish and the traditions of the Mosaic law, the the law that was never meant to save anybody, but only to reveal that they are sinners. They put their confidence in that. In other words, their confidence was in their their heritage and their religion and their rule keeping. And Jesus is looking out there and he is seeing people burdened down with religion. Burdened down with trying to live a certain style of life and keep the rules and, and, and be good enough for God. And he would cry out to them, come on to me, all of you who are burdened. All of you who are laden down heavily with these burdens of religion that will do nothing for you. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And what he is saying to them is enter into a relationship with me. And then your soul will find rest and you'll be right with your God. Because the Jewish people there had a hunger for God. And by the way, I'm grateful for any human being who has a a, a hunger, a a searching in their mind. They're trying to seek out God. I'm glad you're doing it. If you have a hunger in your heart at all, a spiritual interest and a spiritual hunger, thank God for that. That's an important thing. I'm glad you have that. And these, these people had a, they, they did, they wanted to be right. They, they, they wanted to, to have a hunger for God. They were super religious people, but their religion had become their God. 
Their rules had become their God. And it was never going to be good enough for them. So with passion, I can see Jesus standing there almost exasperated and say, come to me. Don't run away. Don't follow your rules and your regulations. Come to me. You're heavy laden. You're burdened down. Bring them to me and let me give you a light burden of walking with me and having a relationship with me. I'm going to say this to you. I've said this at nauseum, and you guys probably hear this so much from me. You're tired of hearing it. But your religion doesn't do a thing for you. It's not about religion. It's about relationship, my friends. And that's what Jesus was trying to say. I am God himself. I have appeared before you so that we can have a relationship. I came to you so that we can relate. It's not about a religion anymore. And the Lord's passion was stirred as he addressed them. And he, warned, he was warning them about the danger of their faithlessness and their misunderstanding. And he speaks to them with urgency with these verses. Verse 28 and 29 and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. I want us to just observe this, these few verses. And I want to just make a couple very quick observations out of these, if you will. So if you're able, follow along. First, I would suggest to you, uh, God's word is come. I love that word in the Bible. It's, if you want to be blessed, if you're a Christian, um, this will inspire you. Do a word search on the word come and see how many times the creator Almighty God says, come to me. Come. It will bless you. I want to remind you that God doesn't have any need for a relationship with you or with me. God needs nothing and no one, but he invites us to come. Have you ever been in a uh, place, have you ever had the experience, I hope you haven't, but I, I have to say I have. Um, have you ever known of something really cool going on, a party or something like that, uh, and, and you were hoping that somebody would invite you, and you didn't get the invitation? <laughs> I've been alone on Friday nights a few times, you know, when some of my buddies were doing some cool, fun stuff, and, and um, I didn't get the invitation. And a lot of times it was because they wanted to do stuff that I didn't want to do. And so, so in that sense, I was okay. But, but it doesn't feel real good when other people are included and you're not. But I, the amazing thing to me is that the, the God of creation, the God of this book, looks out at us and with passion says, come to me. Because I can perceive, I can see that you're burdened down, that you're... You, you, you have the burden of religion. You have the burden of rule keeping. And you are misunderstanding everything there is to know about really what it means to know God. But come to me and I'll give you some rest from that. Any person may approach him. Any of us can come. In some respects, we really shouldn't be able to do that because he is holy and we're not. Because he is immortal and we're mortal. He has an eternal spirit and we're weak flesh. Yet he says to people, come. And I'm just amazed that he wants us to have a relationship with him. The Savior sees that his countrymen are laden down with this burden of traditions, man-made rules, and a misunderstanding and misuse of the law, which was only there to reveal their sin. 
And he saw a religion that had been created a lot by them. And it left them with a false hope and a false security. They believed that they were Jewish, they were good. They believed that if they were Jewish and religious, they were good and they would end up in heaven. The religion was actually in the way of them knowing God because Jesus said, it's not about religion. Come to me. It's about me. Come to me. Look at the heart of the Savior who stood before them and invited them to come. This is the heart of our creator. He throws his arms wide open. And he says to all of us, all of humanity, come. He sees our need. He sees our burdens. He sees the weariness that comes into a life that is burdened down. And he invites us to bring it all to him and offload it. And can I camp for just a second and say, wouldn't it be great if you if you truly believe this and this truly happened for you today? Wouldn't it be great if you could lay all of your hurts, all of your burdens at the feet of the The God who created you, wouldn't it be great if he took them from you? And wouldn't it be awesome if you walked away with those things off of you? I want you to know that's what he said. That's his promise. Come to me and I'll give you the rest that you need. I'll take these burdens from you. I'll relieve you. I'll set you free. I'll release you from these things. We may be embarrassed about our burden because we've created them. (laughs) A lot of it's our own fault. It's called the burden of sin. It's ugly. It's repulsive to the Lord. Yet, yet, even though we have a tendency to cover it up, he says, no, no, come. Come and be open and honest because I see it anyway. I see it. You can't conceal it from me. You, you may conceal it from people and you may pretend it's not there. But I see your burden and I want to free you. I want to help you to be released of all of that. God's word to us has come. I love in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. What a wonderful promise. And then, of course, in Isaiah chapter 1, where the Lord is speaking to the Israelites, and in verse 18, he says, Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though the red as crimson, they'll be like wool. In Revelation 22, some of the last words recorded in the Bible, chapter 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Can you capture the power of this image of a God who stands in front of people and he pours it, he he stretches out his arms and he says to people, anyone who will come to me, please come to me. I'm the answer. I'm the one who can take these things from you. I can lift your burdens. I can change your life. I want a relationship with you. Come to me. What a powerful and wonderful thing. God's word is come. I love that about him. I praise the Lord that he has a heart. It's not in his heart to want to condemn people. It's not in his heart to want to punish people. That's not the kind of God he is. He doesn't want this to happen. In Ezekiel 33 verse 11, 
Jesus, God is speaking to through the prophet to the Israelites. Say to them, he says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but would rather they would turn from their ways and live. So turn, turn from your evil ways. Why would you die, O house of Israel? God's heart is there and he's passionate about people. He doesn't want to see people destroyed. He doesn't want to see people walk into their own destruction. He loves us. Turn away. Come to me. That's the heart of God. His word has come. God's way is Jesus. And yes, I know you've heard this before. In fact, I was talking to our teenagers a little bit about this. And some people uh, don't like this truth, but it's the truth. So please don't get weary of it. I certainly never do. The way to the Father is through the Son. We read about it this morning when when Jesus uh, was speaking to the uh, the crowd that day, and he was he was explaining to them that no one can come to the Father except through them, and no one has seen the Father except Him, and no one will unless He reveals Him. God is Jesus is making it very clear that He is the only way. To God. Every single person. Who loses out in eternity. Who ultimately will end up in hell. Is there because they reject Jesus Christ. I want to say something I don't like saying. I I don't like this is such a, a, a harsh and difficult thing to even think about. But do you understand that the vast majority of humanity. Who has ever graced this planet. Lived on this planet. Will not end up in heaven. And the sole reason is because they have rejected Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's why they're not there. There isn't. I know what people say. And, and again, I had this conversation with our teens uh, the other night. I know that we are told that there are many avenues to God, many ways to God. And I'm just telling you, the Bible makes it very clear. If the Bible is the word of God and you believe it is the word of God, then you have to accept that this is the truth. You may not like the truth. You may not appreciate the truth, but truth doesn't change because we don't like it. Amen. I said to our our youth the other day, I said, I I just want you to imagine that one day I decide that I'm tired of this belief in gravity. And I don't believe in it anymore. I don't think gravity exists anymore. I just don't believe in it anymore. And so what I'm going to do, because I believe that gravity doesn't exist, is I'm going to just go running off a cliff and I'm just going to float. Because I don't believe in gravity. I have no faith in gravity. It doesn't exist. And I was speaking to the youth, and one of the funniest things happened to me, at least. Uh, I said, so I go running off that cliff. What's going to happen? And one of the young people looked at me and said, uh, his, his name is Aaron. He says, you're going to believe in gravity. <laughs> and he was absolutely 100% right, right? And I may not like gravity, and I may not want to believe in gravity, but we all know that gravity is just truth. Right. And I, you may say it's not, but it's true. Telling, saying something's not true doesn't make it not true. And Jesus is the only way to God. And that's a truth as sure as gravity is a truth. Now, some people don't like that. But I'm telling you that that's what the scriptures say. And Jesus was saying this. He stood in front of the people and he said, come to me. 
All of you who are heavy laden. He was pointing to himself to say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that was to come. He, he in this interaction, he healed and he did things to validate the fact that he is the Messiah in the presence of all these people. And he sent John's disciples back to him. I'm the Messiah. Come to me. There's one way. One way. To God and there is no other one. And Jesus stands before his countrymen. He sees their need. He sees their burdens. And he confidently assures them that he has the wherewithal to free them and to set them free. And he says, I'll give you rest for your souls. God's way is Jesus. So what are you weighed down with? What are you burdened with in your life? Come to Jesus What is it that holds you back from real peace and real joy? Come to Jesus with it, with faith. God's word will always be come. And God's way will always be Jesus. Many who were there heard the impassioned plea of the Lord and they lost out because they wouldn't embrace Jesus. They just refused. They were hung up on it. And so for them, like so many people down the centuries, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 8 becomes a reality. Isaiah chapter 8, this was prophesied about. This was said. The Lord Almighty, verse 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. By the way, the Lord Almighty here, that's Jesus. This is speaking about Jesus. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary both for, for both houses of Israel. He will be a stone that causes men to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. What he is saying is... When people just refuse to believe that he is the son of God, the one who would rescue him becomes the stumbling stone for them. They trip over their unbelief and they end up destroyed. God's way is Jesus. Pure and simple. God's word has come. God's way is Jesus. I'm just about done here. Hang in there with me. God's time is now. In verse 28 of our text, when Jesus used used that word that translates into our word come, he did not speak it in English, okay? Do we understand that the Bible is a translation from other languages? And our English language doesn't always easily translate from the original language. But the word that translates into our word come is in the present tense in the Greek. And what what it means is come now. God's time, God's timing is for, for us to come now, for us to be now ready. And then he would say to us that today is the day of salvation. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And I will tell you, God's time is always now. It's so sad to me how many people, um, I don't know, I guess only eternity and only after this age that we live in is over and humanity has been judged and they are where they were, where they will spend eternity when people are there. It will only be in that setting where it will be revealed how many people put off believing. 
how many people put off accepting and and coming to Jesus. I meant to come, Lord, but first I wanted to do this. I meant to come. I was on my way, but I wanted to do this first. I wanted to take care of this first. I wanted to live this part of my life. I wanted this to happen in my life. Before I turned, I decided to do this. I don't know how many people didn't make it. Today, and I don't want to be harsh here, but this is a reality, folks. This is the truth. Hell is populated with people today who intended to get right with God. And they never did. Who intended one day to come to Jesus so that he could cleanse them and unburden them. But they never did. And they didn't make it. Something happened. Here's what the scripture tells us. And we all know this. And, and this, is, this bears out day after day after day. Read your newspapers. Watch the news on TV. And for people every day on this earth, this happens. We don't have a guarantee that we'll make the rest of this day. I'm not trying to to just scare you into a decision, but I'm trying to tell you the truth. I'm standing up here with a little bit of passion in my heart for you. I don't want somebody sitting here in the sound of my voice to say, you know, I came so close. I believe that hell is a place of if only. I think that in hell, people will remember those opportunities that they had when some weird preacher in a blue t-shirt stood in front of them and talked to them and told them they had an opportunity to come. They had an opportunity. And the preacher, on behalf of the Lord, invited them to receive Christ and to enter into life and to lay down their burdens. And they'll think there'll be people in hell thinking, oh, I had my chance and I didn't do it. And I thought I had time. I thought I would get my opportunity. But I, I, again, I don't want to sound too morbid here. But people who are very young die every day. Accidents happen. Horrible tragedies happen. I don't want that to happen. But they do. And I'm saying now is the time. And I don't know how else to more urgently plead with you. If you don't trust in Jesus, God's only way. And you'll know that you don't. If you haven't trusted in him and and relied on him, if you haven't accepted his invitation, today should be the the day that you do it. Andrew's just playing some soft music in the background, and I'm going to have you just bow your heads. I'm about ready to finish this sermon up today. But my heart has been heavy because I just know that there's probably somebody here right on the edge, right on the brink. I'm just asking you, would you like to unburden yourself? Would you like Jesus to take all of this away from you? Would you like to have a new life and a relationship with the God who created you? It's as simple as belief. I'm asking you to do something bold. If you today want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and and let him take your burdens. I'm going to ask you to quietly stand where you are without looking around, without people bothering you. Just, just rise to your feet. That will signify your heart to God. Today is the day that I'm doing this. I want him. I want a relationship with him. I want to be unburdened. Would you stand? If I'm speaking to any Christian today and what has happened to you is that somewhere along the line in your relationship, doubt and confusion has entered into your heart, sort of like John the Baptist, you're struggling. 
And you just don't know what to believe. You don't know what to believe about Jesus. But as I preach, maybe God confirmed in your heart, yes, it's me. Yes, it is me. And I love you. And I want a relationship with you. And today, if you need to renew that relationship and say, God, I'm sorry for my doubt. I'm sorry for my confusion. I do love you. And I commit to you. I do believe in you, Jesus. Then would you just stand? Would you just renew that just by raising, rising up on your feet and being known to God? This is who I am, God. I, I do believe in you. I'm sorry for my doubts and my struggles, but I believe in you. And today, I recommit my way to you. Right where you are, you can say to the Lord from your heart earnestly, I accept your invitation, Jesus. And I come. And I want these burdens taken off of me. And I want to have faith. I don't want to be burdened down with unbelief. I don't want to be burdened down with sin. I want to belong to you and be a a servant of yours and follow after you. And so right now, Lord, I'm going on record as saying I receive your invitation and I thank you for it. And I ask you, take my burden and give me your yoke of relationship. Join me with you and let me be yours. Put me in your kingdom, O oh God. Forgive me for the straying and the confusion. And just wash me and make me clean now. And I will make a commitment to you or a promise based on the word of God. If you are doing this this morning, God is being faithful to you. And he is forgiving you. He is washing you. He is lifting your burdens in the name of Jesus. That's being done because of the word. And you belong to him. So, Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the way that you've worked here today. And we pray a special blessing on every one of us.